So Jonah 4 today, we're going to end it. Last chapter. What's this book been about, really? Um, I think we'll get to the heart of it today. Should be good. You'll find the words on the screen behind me and the screen in front of you. If you've got it with you, follow along that way before we read. Let's pray. God, again, we're grateful for this book. Um, we're grateful for your word. Thank you for, for it. It's, it is a gift. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming, for being here, for your presence in our lives. And as we open this book, We ask that we'd hear your voice. We don't like change, but we need it. So we ask that you would do within us whatever it is you need to do to make us more like Jesus. Amen. Jonah 4, starting at Jonah 3. Verse 10, <laughs> when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Maybe that's why I'm emotional. I don't know. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Really? You said something? You were talking to God during that whole thing? I don't remember that. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city there. He made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am very angry. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? We will go that far. That's how it ends. Right there, that's the end. <laughs> Don't you want more? Like, Jonah, what did you, what, what did Jonah say to that? Like, what's his response? It's a good little cliffhanger there. I'll be honest about it. It's such an interesting story, isn't it? Sort of takes a turn that 
you don't want, but really it doesn't surprise us if we're really actually thinking about it. If we really dig into this, none of this should surprise us. It's kind of the thing where it's like, oh, there is a mirror here and we'll see ourselves if we're, if we're willing to look into it. Oh my goodness. So we've been walking through this little story. And once again, to get the full effect of this lap, last chapter, I think it's important for us to remember where we've been. So let's retell the story. Uh, so Jonah uh, gets a word from the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, and says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. Right? Jonah's a prophet. He's supposed to be a man with guts. He's supposed to be able to confront truth. He's supposed to confront power with the truth. He's supposed to be working on the behalf of the poor, the oppressed, people who've been marginalized and pushed aside and set aside, people who've been ignoring the God of Israel. So he's supposed to be able to go there, but he doesn't. He flees. He goes in the opposite direction. He can't go any more in the opposite direction than he goes. He flees for a place called Tarshish. He jumps on a ship because he's afraid. He wants to make a new life for himself. He's sort of taking control of his own life. He thinks he's safe running away from God. The safest place in the world is running away from God. Again, curious, curious choice. Now, Jonah goes below deck and he goes sleep. He goes down, all the way down to the bottom of the boat. Hopefully God won't see him there. God sends a storm. And then the captain of the ship goes down and says, why aren't you praying? Brings him up because the storm gets worse. They don't know what's happening. They cast lots. And the last lot, the shortest one, falls to Jonah. And he finally admits it. He says, it's me. It's my fault. I've been running away from the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Throw me in and the sea will become calm. But then we have these, these foreign peoples these foreign sailors. Now, I don't even like using that word foreigner because that word sort of has a, a harsh tone to it. Like these foreigners, they're different than we are. They're, so, and because they're different, we feel some sort of automatic animosity towards them. I don't even know why that is, but that's just sort of the way it is. But these foreigners, they're not bad people. They're good people. They're hardworking sailors, right? They're, they're good people, and so they don't want to throw them in. So they work really hard at trying to make the ship you know, be okay, but they realize the sea is just getting too rough, and they get to the point where they're like, I don't have any other choice. And so they throw them over, and they ask God to forgive them, and the sea becomes calm. And what happens? These people who think very different things about God and the divine and how the world works, suddenly they begin to believe in the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land, and it's blowing their minds, and they begin to worship. They begin to believe. Right there, that boat becomes a sanctuary, and they worship. It's fantastic. Now Jonah is going down, down all the way down to the bottom of the sea. And you think his life is over. That's it. No more Jonah. But what happens? God has a different idea. He sends, he provides commissions, appoints, what kind of a fish? A great fish, not to chew him up and spit him out, but to swallow him. And he finds himself in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea for three days and three nights. And there's nothing left for him to do, but to just pray. So he does. He prays. He's all the way down as far as he can go. And he prays, and it's this beautiful mishmash of about a dozen or so psalms. 
And because it's the word of the Lord, it sort of sustains him, gives him life, gives him energy. He remind, he's reminded of, of who God is, that God is gracious, God is loving, God is kind, God is compassionate. God is the one who, who saves. Oh, and then finally the fish vomits him up, pukes him up on a dry land. There he is, covered in fish vomit, half-digested shrimp. Right? What's he going to do now? What's next for him? God really does save. He's sobbing on the beach. God really does save. Oh my goodness. And then there's that voice again. It's that voice that keeps coming back to you and back to you and back to you. Nineveh, Jonah, Nineveh. It's that place you don't want to go. Nineveh, yeah, I still want you to go there. Go. We're not done. So Jonah goes. And when he gets there, like it's a big city. It takes three days to walk through. So he begins going, and he, and he, and he preaches this half-hearted sermon, right? Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. He doesn't sound like a prophet. He's not speaking on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. Right? It's this half-hearted, wimpy thing. He's only a third of the way through the city. He doesn't sound like he's got guts. He's not calling out specific atrocities. Nothing like that. He's just kind of halfway doing it. And then all of a sudden, they all believe. He's only a third of the way through the city. And the whole city believes. They, the whole city repents from the greatest to the least, you see how all-encompassing this is? Even the animals are repenting. And when God sees it all, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Oh my goodness! Now it's at this point in the story that we think that Jonah should be pumped, right? He should be fist-pumping like, I'm the greatest prophet there ever was. Like I'm the most successful ever. I did it. I won. I wasn't even trying. And it happened. Like at this point, we should, we should picture like angels descending out of heaven and like giving him a Gatorade bath and, and like putting him on their shoulders and walking him through the city of Nineveh. Everybody celebrating together. Like this is such a joyous occasion. A whole city turns itself over to the divine and it's fantastic. And God includes them and welcomes them just like that. And then the Bible says this, Jonah was greatly displeased. and became angry. Translated better, it's this. All this was grievous to Jonah. A great evil. And he was very angry. A great evil. Here are these people that Jonah doesn't want included, doesn't want loved, doesn't think deserved to be welcomed. God welcomes them, and Jonah sees it as evil. A whole, a whole nation is saved, and Jonah's displeased. A whole nation is saved, and Jonah sees it as a great evil and becomes angry. God has compassion, and it makes Jonah mad. God has mercy, and Jonah's so mad about it that he wants to die. 
Like all of us at the very same time should be thinking to ourselves, Jonah, what is the matter with you? What is your problem? How do you even think like that? How does that happen? Well, we know. We, we know because that, that's in us too. We look at the world and we know that that's in a lot of people too. Now, the Ninevites were bad, bad people. The Ninevites were brutal, right? Remember from week one, let's remember some of the things that the prophet Nahum said about the Ninevites. Woe to Nineveh, woe to the city of blood. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. Like It's no wonder that the people hated the Ninevites, the Assyrians, the most brutal nation in the world. No, Siri, I don't want you right now. I have no idea. Okay. I appreciate your, no. Most violent countries in 2022, World Population Review. I don't want this. I need to turn Siri off. I think I just learned that. Did I say serious? Syria? I said Syria. So anyway, people hated Ninevites and the Assyrian. Assyria. I said Assyria. Not. So anyway, people hated them. But for the people of Israel, it runs even more deeply. It's deeper than that. So instead of just wiping Israel off the face of the earth like Assyria did with other nations of the world, they did something even worse to them. So here's what they did. See, for Israel, they saw themselves as blessed. They saw themselves as the chosen nation. We're all aware of this. They saw themselves as pure, holy. And what, what do you not want to do What do you not want to have done to you if you are pure and holy? You don't want anybody to mess with your bloodlines because you have the purest bloodlines on the earth. God has chosen your nation. You are pure. So what do you do with a nation like that if you really want to get at them? Let's just put it like this. You intermingle with them. You you intermarry with them. You have children with them. So now you have Israelites having children who are now impure. Now their bloodline is not pure. So that's what the Assyrians did. And these half-breed children became known as, and you may have heard of them before, the Samaritans. Oh my goodness. So now we're starting to realize where the, where the hatred is between Israelites and Samaritans. It becomes a little more clear, right? So Jonah doesn't want compassion on these people. No, Jonah wants them gone. Jonah wants them dead. Get rid of them. So he goes off on this little tirade. I knew this would happen. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Just kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead. And God says, do you have any right to be angry? What is happening here? 
Like, so Jonah doesn't want to be a fool. First of all, he's a prophet, right? He, he predicted destruction. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 more days, and then they're saved. So now he looks like a fool, right? He doesn't want his enemies to prosper. Jonah's now putting himself in the place of God. First, he thinks that the safest place away from, is running away from God, and now he thinks the safe, and now he thinks he knows better than God. So first it was hiding from God. Now he knows better than God. These people should die for what they've done. Like he thinks he's putting himself in the place of God. We don't ever do that. But if you want to, there's a game you can play. There's a game, there's a little app. It's over a decade old. It's called Pocket God. You can go on. I just looked at, you can still buy it. It's only 99 cents. It's fun. Uh, you can get on this game and you can play this game. You can play, you can play God on this game. Listen to the description. It's called Pocket God. What kind of God would you be, benevolent or vengeful? Play Pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. You can bring new life, and you can take it away just as quickly. Exercise your power over the islanders. Lift them into the air, alter gravity, hit them with lightning. You can throw people into a volcano. You can swipe your, your finger across the screen and open up like cavernous gaping holes in the ground and have the earth swallow these people up. It seems like the creators of this game think that people will only want to play the game and the role of the vengeful God. Isn't that interesting? So let's think about this. Why would the creators of the game think that people would only want to play that role, the vengeful God. Well, maybe they've correctly diagnosed reality and the way that most people think. Or maybe it's because the creators of this game knows, maybe they know that we all have this thing inside of us, all of us, that's prone to vengeance, that's prone to to get back at others when we've been wrong. Maybe they, maybe they realize that there's something just inside of us human beings that makes us you know, build these walls and dividing barriers so that we can, so that we can label other people as, as different, foreign, other, bad, maybe even evil, so that we can feel good about ourselves and, and we can wipe them out, get rid of them. Like, admit it, there are people in this world that you'd rather not associate with ever again. Are you with me? We know these people. These people, those people. Even our language says it. I mean, just look at sports. Like ISU fans, when Iowa beats your team, what do you want to happen to the Hawkeyes the very next time they play? What do you want? You like, I'm gonna get them crushed. Just lose by 50. Like it's in there, even if something as trivial as that, there's something inside of us. Right? Or perhaps the creators of Pocket got around to something else. Maybe, maybe their contention is that the only kind of God people can imagine is an angry one, a vengeful one, a God who gets back at. 
Like Jonah, he goes east to the city, and what does he want? He sits there in the heat of the day, and he's waiting to see what would be done because he's still hoping beyond all hope that God will just destroy the city, that God will just rain fire, and the whole thing will be destroyed. Strike them down. They're evil people. Is that the kind of God we imagine? Isn't that dangerous? Because if that's the kind of God you imagine, you can justify all kinds of things. You can justify all kinds of atrocities and all kinds of atrocities throughout history. Yeah, well, they've been justified because of this. Right? Maybe, maybe Jonah's created a God in his own image. Maybe that's what he's done. And because, and because he's an angry and vengeful person, that's what he imagines God to be. And if God is angry at those people, then so can he. He can be angry at those people. But here's the question of the book. The whole question is, what if Jonah's wrong? What if he's wrong? What if God really is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding? in love. What if we aren't the only ones in the world that matter to God? See, in Jonah's world, his world is all about himself, right? He's the only one that matters. God creates this little plant. It gives him shade. It's grace. It's gift. And he enjoys it, and he's pleased because God has been gracious to him. He loves it when God is gracious to him. And then God sends a worm, the thing dies, and he's suffering under the heat, and he's so mad he wants to die. Like, do you get the absurdity that's given to us in this book? Like, the picture of that is you are just a pathetic person. What are you doing? He cares more about himself and shade in the desert than he does about 120,000 Ninevites. He just wants them dead. They don't matter to him. But what if he's wrong? That's the question of the book. What if Jonah is wrong? What if everyone matters? What if everyone matters to God? And if everyone matters to God, shouldn't everyone matter to you and me, no matter what the circumstances? If God shows grace and mercy and compassion and includes and welcomes the Ninevites, The Ninevites, we probably ought to, too. It's that coworker you work with who's totally annoying and, like, is so dishonest, cuts corners all the time, and gets ahead while you do all the right things. Grace. Right to your neighbor who keeps messing with your yard, you know, mows across the boundary. There's that boundary there. You know where it is. You cut your grass way too short. I had a neighbor like that in Michigan. I was like, compassion. To that one family member who, who, uh, who embarrasses the whole family because who they are, what they think, the things that they've done and continue to do love, compassion. What is it for you? Who is it for you? They all matter. Everyone matters. God longs for 
God longs to show them grace and mercy and compassion and for us to show them grace and mercy and compassion. By the way, I know a guy who lived his life like that. Um, incredible, incredible man. He's this scruffy, like, Galilean dude. He was, was born in Bethlehem, hailed from a town called Nazareth, which is just a, like a, a backwoods town, not very many people who live there. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He had nothing in his appearance that, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with familiar with suffering. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. You know what what he had? It's probably because he was acquainted and familiar with suffering. He had this radically abundant love almost beyond imagination. He had this radically abundant love for for the outsider, for the unrighteous, for the sick, for the lame, for the washed up, for the washed out. He had this radical love for the left out and the left behind because to him, everybody mattered everyone. So in the most extraordinary way, he showed us that radically abundant love by giving up his life, by stretching out his arms and enduring, enduring death on a cross. He went to Nineveh to show us Ninevites his radically abundant love by giving up his life and stretching out his arms to embrace the whole world. So what does Jonah do? What does he do? What's next? Like, the author is like, imagine. What does Jonah do? It's easy for us to imagine him saying, forget this, I'm out, I'm leaving, I'm walking away, I'm done with this whole God thing, finished, I can't do it anymore. Or to lean into his radical boundary making and continuing on the same pattern of shutting people out and war after war after war after war, or what if his heart was broken? And instead, he moved to Nineveh and became one of them. I kind of hope that's what he did. kind of hope that's what we do. Let's pray.